Kate. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Aileen. Hi, Ellie. How is everybody today? It's Sunday morning. It feels like Saturday to me. How do they feel different? Uh, well, in my head, I have one more day. <laughs> and I'm going to find out later that that's not the case. <laughs> so. I'll break it to you now. It's Sunday for real. <laughs> Tomorrow's Monday. Tomorrow I will be at work. Actually, um, so we're recording this in lovely Uptown, which I don't use very often, but every time I, I do uh, come to Uptown, something happens. I lived here in my um, almost and then early 20s. And I saw this guy walking to work at the pizza place, and you could tell he had his hat and his uniform on. And I had this flashback of having some shitty job that I had to go to in Uptown on a Saturday and wishing that I had a Monday through Friday job and that I was a grown-ass woman, professional woman. And here I am. Here are you. Except you're still in denial it's Sunday. Because you retold that story <laughs> as though it was Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> you text me later and tell me to go to work tomorrow? Ellie, it's still Sunday. <laughs> Tomorrow's still Monday. I'm going to get it. It's going to be fine. I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, I have until the end of the day. Uh, Aileen and I are here with Kate Bailey. Do we say Kate Kunkel Bailey or Kate That's Bailey? That's sort of, yeah, Kate, my name. Kate Kunkel, Kate Kunkel Bailey. Bailey. Yes, it's been a while since I said your whole name. We actually uh, have known each other for about 97 years and have the same exact nickname for each other. We call each other B. It's true. Yeah. The letter or two E's after it? B-E-E. -E. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's short for Beezus. <laughs> <laughs> Not bitch. <laughs> right. I don't know why. I don't know when it happened. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It's one of those things that just sort of evolved. And it's weird, and I've never really stopped to think about how absolutely strange it is. I've never... But good morning, B. Happy Sunday. Hey, B. What's up? <laughs> so then to me, you would both be Beezus. <laughs> yeah. Bees eye. These is, it's weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Kate B is the um, owner of the 318 Cafe in Excelsior. That's correct. Uh, which is actually where we met mm -hmm. many, many years ago when our children who are now in, in or around high school uh, were still tiny babies. We used to wait tables there together and watch bands play. Uh, and now Kate owns it. So we're in the season of uh, professional humans where we're talking about self-advocacy and the premise of self-advocacy that we were exploring is that it can lead to better engagement at work. Because if you let things go, if you make these micro decisions every hour, or every day or every week to not address things that are bothering you and you're not advocating for yourself, um, that it can lead to disengagement over time and you won't have known where where all of that came from because you will have forgotten all of those tiny decisions you made along the way. Right. With me so far? So in this exploration, we came across an article that talked about... Uh, so employee engagement is a multi-billion dollar industry at this point. It uh, Employers are spending a lot of money to get um, to get their employees engaged and it's not really working. And there was an article that kind of called BS on the whole thing and said, actually, engagement is a byproduct uh, of productivity. You have to make your employees more productive first, and the engagement follows. So I think that in some industries or in some corporate settings or um, bigger settings than a, a 
local independent place that mm-hmm. that could be true but i wanted to explore it with you as an independent business owner can you afford for your employees to not be engaged for a minute absolutely not <laughs> right. um and that's you know for better or worse one of the beautiful things that happens in a tiny independent local business is that people choose you because they want to be part of a very very small team yeah um it, I mean, we've got 25 people who work for us um, and 25 absolutely amazing people. Employee retention in the restaurant industry on the whole is a known it's issue. Like 20%. It, right. You don't keep people more than a year or two um, right. unless you're dealing with somebody who's sort of a lifer and has just fallen in love with your place. Um, I've been there three years now as the owner and have lost three people on a team of 25, which wow. in the restaurant industry, you would expect it to be almost the other way. You yeah. would expect to have kept about three of those people. Um, so we do have a really, really engaged team. And part of that's just who they are. Right. Um, the people that are drawn to work in that sort of environment, the people who are drawn to our business specifically. And part of that is hiring decisions. But no, to answer your question in a very, very short way, I can't afford to have anybody who doesn't care about their job. Right. Some server has a bad day and you're, you immediately see it in your P&L. That week. That week, absolutely. Right. Right. Um, or theft. Or- right, theft could be devastating. You know, $20, $30 a day could be one of those things that over the course of the year makes a huge difference mm-hmm. in who I'm able to afford, who I'm able to bring in. So it's there's no room for shrink. There's no room for... Um, there's no room for people not to care, really. There's no room for people not to view it as their own business. Sure. So... How do you get them to care? And coming back around to self-advocacy, how do you watch for signs of people who are letting things slide? Uh, you're a really just perceptive person, I can imagine, as a as a manager or a leader, um, paying attention and keyed into those things. How do you spot it and help people and create the right conditions for them to advocate for themselves? Um, I think a big part of it is my own behavior in the space. And again, when you're talking about a larger corporate infrastructure, I'm not quite sure how this premise would translate, but a big part of it is that it's really, really important to my staff for them to understand that we are running a business together. And my role sometimes involves making decisions that they're not involved with. Um, sometimes my role involves um, things that that do put me on a, a different um plain, but that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a hierarchical structure in my business. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very collaborative. Um, And I know that that's a buzzword that we hear a lot, but we're collaborative to the point um, that there's no decision that any employee couldn't talk to me about um, or, or be received you're not going to hear from me or from our management staff. That's not your job. Stay out of it because sure. it is. I want people to feel like they own the business because to a degree they do. Um, so it's a bus we're all kind of driving together. A really cute one that smells nice and like garlic sometimes. <laughs> chocolate good. chip cookies. Mm, food. <laughs> so you haven't um, stumbled into being able to create those conditions, right? Um, so were there moments uh, reflecting on your own professional journey that now you're better positioned to create those conditions um, either when you were a server and you and Ellie first met or some other? Well, Ellie and I were both servers as a byproduct of the fact that we both had other creative projects that we were working on. Um, So my professional history 
is a little wonky. I've done kind of a little bit of everything. I've worked in radio and television. I was a magazine editor for a while, um, have had a freelance creative career. Um, and there has always been this sense of having something to prove. You always had to demonstrate that you were worthy or better or um, that world, the creative world, is a very, very competitive place and you have to work really hard to make yourself um, stand out. I hated it. That hustle was not a good fit for me, sort of spiritually, emotionally, as a human being, just wasn't super resonant. Um, I do do better in collaborative environments. I do better when I am, my engagement happens when I have other people who are supportive along the way rather than adversarial or competitive. And I'm sure that that's the case with most human beings. Um, because I say so. I have no research to back that up. But um, but for me, there is a lot of, uh, that really informs, I think, who I try to be as a leader. Um, there's not a lot of need for people to prove themselves. Just do your job and, um, and think about it and care about it. And that's enough. And does that make sense at all? Am I babbling? It does. It's it's interesting. It's a little bit of a different um, from some of the other guests we've interviewed. Self advocacy has been, um, and we've talked about it through more of a hierarchical. Where mm -hmm. self advocacy, for example, is a moment when you're sitting down and there's something you want and you need permission mm -hmm. or a green light, and you have to walk in with a business case. And right there's which is. Um, you're talking about something really different. You're talking about self-advocacy that is much more democratized. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's a different lens than we've explored so far. And it's a lens that works in some places and doesn't work in other places. But even within larger infrastructure, I think it's possible departmentally um, to democratize a little bit. And there are people who would say that there are a lot of downsides, maybe. Um, but that's one of the fun things as a business owner is that I get to create a culture and I get to create an environment where people participate how I want them to. If I want people to be engaged in a business with 27 people, including me and my business partner and spouse, um, how do I want that to look? Do I want people to be nervous when I come in? Do I want people to feel like I'm a micromanager? Do I, or do I want people... I'm leaving town for 11 days on Tuesday. I'm excited about that because I know the business will be fine and I know the business will be fine because there are 26 other people who care about it as much as I do. Mm -hmm. um, and that I think is the real challenge as a servicist or a dishwasher, it's really easy not to give a crap about your life, to be stumbling to work on a Saturday morning in a city somewhere and, and feel like you're just working the crap job. I'm told it's Sunday today. <laughs> it is, in fact, still Sunday. Um, so my challenge in regard to engagement is how do you view that job as important and meaningful? Um, because it is. I can't run a business without those people. Mm -hmm. um, they, yeah. Have you seen people struggle with it? or struggle to find their place in that setting. Or I think one of the things we see people struggle with in, in larger um, organizations is they don't understand their growth path. Mm -hmm. So what do they see? You've 
been able to keep people for a really long time, what else are they doing or what is their growth path and how can you help them? Well, that's one of the fun things is that um, in our culture, and that's different, like America is really unusual in the regard that restaurants aren't considered a life or career. Um, in Europe, you might choose to be a server because it really means something to you to literally feed people and to literally be part of their experience. Mm -hmm. um, here, it's viewed as something that happens before you get to somewhere else, if you're doing it right, or you're a peon. Um, I try really hard to encompass some of that, like the work we are doing is important. And no, no one dies if they don't go to a cafe and get a good meal. But what we are doing as a collective is literally nurturing people. Mm -hmm. um, and all of us have a role in meeting people at that spot where they want or need to be nurtured. And that feels a lot different than here's your food or mm -hmm. damn it, I have all these dishes to wash. Um, it's part of understanding what it is that we actually do. Um, and that sounds so basic, but I think that a lot of people, a lot of employees in a lot of chains either don't care or don't understand what it is really that they're doing in mm -hmm. terms of how they're reaching people and the community and the world. So you're developing software. What does it do and why is that important? And I know these are conversations that we have at the corporate level all the time, but are we living it? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Do you have stories from, because you weren't always uh, working in this magical cafe. You had plenty of uh, corporate jobs, <laughs> some which ended spectacularly. Oh, yes. With, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the FBI at all, but. <laughs> I can talk about the FBI. Kate has a really interesting career. <laughs> So I worked, um, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and name the company because they're gone. Um, I worked for a company um, that was a division of Petters Group, a magazine conglomerate that was owned by Petters. Um, for those of you unfamiliar who might be listening, Tom Petters would be a household name, except that Bernie Madoff came along like a week later and sort of <laughs> dwarfed the whole thing. Uh, but he was engaged in an embezzlement scheme to the term of or tune of $3 billion dollars. Um, which was a huge number. Again, Bernie Madoff kind of tipped the scale and changed that a little bit. Um, and at the time it was being investigated, they weren't sure whether there was drug money involved. They weren't sure kind of how some of that money was being procured. Um, so the FBI was um, intense about the way they laid us all off, let's say. So yeah. I'm sitting in my office one morning and we had this nice view of the parking lot and it was there was a hill and a nice labyrinthine path that went up the hill. And my office sort of faced that lot and that hill. And I'm at my desk and I'm typing and I have this moment where I think, what, is it Black Suburban Day or something? <laughs> and I go back to work. And the next thing I know, there are federal agents in these windbreakers that say FBI and they are running up the hill. But here's <laughs> the really fun part. Um, and it didn't strike me as funny for a really long time after. Nothing did, actually. Um, but they were running up this labyrinthine path. <laughs> I don't understand for the life of me why they didn't just storm the hill. Um, but yes, that is how I lost my job as a magazine editor, which I thought was my dream job. Um, oh, wow. And it turns out it wasn't. It doesn't um, sound like it, <laughs> that much of a dream job. But in an, an environment like that, I, it, I mean, there were aspects of it that were, I, I remember you putting out, Episode or not episodes, 
issues mm-hmm. that you were really, really proud of. So there were yeah, it had some moments, but in that environment where somebody like Tom Petters is running the show, obviously not super um, on the right side of uh, things ethically. That uh, what kinds of stories do you have about advocating for yourself in that environment, or what kinds of experiences mm-hmm. did you? Did you have that that taught you how to create the right environment for your employees now? There's a whole lot of interesting that happened in that case. Um, And a whole lot of it comes from desperation. The company that I worked with survived and has been purchased by another entity now and still does the work that they were doing. Mm -hmm. I made the choice not to go along with them because the place I was in in my life right then um, asked me to make some (laughs) different choices. Um, However... um, Looking at that environment, it was sort of textbook how not to lead. And it's funny because there's a little bit of a paradox. On paper in that environment, part of how we were kept distracted from some of the toxicity of what was going on was that we had these really unbelievable benefits. Like we could get massages or use tanning booths and there was a health care or a health club facility on site. And some of these things are a little bit more standard now in the workplace. They were unheard of then. Um, However, were those benefits paid for? (laughs) I don't know. Um, But a lot of it was about making us uh, comfortable and complacent to the point that we didn't stop to think about what we were doing. It was keeping us sort of intentionally disengaged in a different way. We were supposed to like our jobs, but not think about them too hard. Interesting. Um, That's a really interesting because a lot of the spend associated with the number you cited earlier to, on, with employer employee engagement is around creating conditions of cultural conditions, and mm-hmm. and those types of things are at the center. Right. Right. So, like in workplaces all over the country. Sure. Um, that is now when it means we're going to improve our culture. Mm-hmm. Right? They go after those things. Well, and I have a lot of questions about that, maybe because I'm jaded from some of the experiences that I had. Um, And I have worked either independently or in small business environments Mm -hmm. since. Um, So it it changed some of the ways I look at some things. But there was always this element of it feeling forced. There were lots of sort of, they weren't mandatory, but they were mandatory happy hours and employee parties and taco nights for Cinco de Mayo. And the thing is, my the, the staff that I worked with at the time, we really, really liked each other and spent a ton of time together outside of work. There was nothing meaningful that happened in any of those sorts of forced engagements that didn't happen when we met for happy hour. There was nothing that we gained from being forced to have fun. Um, other Except than lost time. Free tacos. I mean, free tacos are good, but I'll pay $2 for a taco if I don't lose two hours of my Tuesday night. Sure. Right? So the fact that some of those sort of mandatory or imposed engagements are a time suck in a way that kind of prevent you from doing the work that you really need to do adds stress. It doesn't take it from your life, or at least that was my experience with it. Um, and I'm not saying that we should never provide opportunities for employees to have fun. We're all going axe throwing next month. It's going to be great. Um, but um, The 318 staff is going? We are. I feel like alumni should be invited. You can come. Okay. All right. Throw an axe with the best of them. It's pretty great. Have you been axe throwing? No, and I am completely distracted by wanting to know about where this happens and how far you can throw it. And we if you throw it talk. at something. <laughs> You do. You throw axes at things. Um, At wood. So, yes. So I'm certainly not saying that those sorts of opportunities should never be provided or that 
fun isn't an important part of it, but stopping to think about what really is fun and what really is meaningful versus what is asking your employees to fall into a line that distracts them or disengages them a little bit. Yeah, the concept of kind of lulling you into complacency is uh, I want to um, pick at that a little bit because I think there's this um, false sense of comfort there. Mm -hmm. Giving these really nice benefits can give this false sense of comfort. And what we're talking about in, in self-advocacy is the ability to be really uncomfortable right. in order to gain I think that's a huge thing, and I thought about it before when you were asking a little bit about sort of the democratizing of things. Um, democratizing is an interesting word choice. I'm still queen of my business, <laughs> but we still have a president oh. in democracy. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, like air quotes, right? But I'm uh, there is still a person who is the president, <laughs> right? It's a role. <laughs> well, someone's got to steer a ship, right? Exactly. And yeah. it's sort of my job to set a course and figure out with my crew, how we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not going to ask anybody to walk any planks if they have anything to say that I don't like. In fact, sometimes those things that make me as a leader the most uncomfortable are the things that are most productive for my business. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that I am willing to be uncomfortable in order to create a space that's safe enough for other people to be uncomfortable. Yep. Um, again, in a massive corporate environment, there are some challenges with that. But departmentally, how willing are we as leaders to be really, really uncomfortable? It's possible I'm doing everything wrong. There are people who can tell me that. They do the jobs that I need them to do every single day. Mm -hmm. um, but I need to be willing to sit down and have a really evaluative moment when I have those twinges of, oh, you're just wrong. Um, sometimes they're not. Um, so I think part of it is creating a space where I am willing to be uncomfortable um, so that my employees understand that that's part of this game of not just being productive, professional human beings, but being human beings. We need to be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable with each other sometimes. Mm -hmm. One of the threads, um, I want to keep going with that, because one of the threads that has come up with talking to all of our guests is sort of the centerpiece of being able to self-advocate effectively um, is being uncomfortable. And a prerequisite to that is know thyself, mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise you're just sort of randomly making yourself uncomfortable or you don't know which moments to go for and which moments to let slide, right? Um, it, you know, you've already in this conversation said, I chose this because, you know, my life told me to. So you have some sort of know thyself compass that's pretty strong. Can you talk about how, where that came from if you feel like, do you practice it? We've heard other guests talk about imagining an inner mentor or um, challenging yourself. How do you get that know thyself? Um, well, the short answer is years of therapy. <laughs> um, the long answer is that um, some of it just evolved from my life and has now become a practice. Um, I was a very young parent. Nobody expected that of me. Um, wanted to work in creative fields, and that's a challenging way to make a living. Um, started working publicly in radio and in television when I was 13 years old. You've never heard of me because I wasn't good enough. So I have, like, low-key child star syndrome. Like, I just, while well, my friends went to work at the ice cream shop, I went to work at a national radio station, and... It was fun, right? And so there was this idea that there was this conflict of the way the world worked 
and the way I was experiencing reality, and they weren't the same thing. Um, and I learned really early that if you want to preserve that reality that you're enjoying, that's something that you have to work really hard to do. And um, sometimes climbing a ladder means aspiring to be president of a Fortune 500 company. In my case, the ladder that I wanted to climb meant going to work every day and loving the hell out of my life. Um, that's cozy to me, that's soft to me. Um, I'm doing exactly what I wanna do. Um, in terms of the practice, um, I think it goes back to that same thing that I was talking about, knowing what it is that you are doing. I just don't think that we have a lot of self-awareness in the long term as a culture or as maybe humans. It's, it's very easy to be stuck on sort of immediate, this project that I'm doing, this goal that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and so we fixate on the minutia of the things that we are doing without stopping to think about what we're capital D doing. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's the same thing. What are we doing? We are nurturing people. What am I doing, capital D, doing to make sure that my life is congruent with my values? Am, mm -hmm. I, am I living right now in a way that feels like it's, it's moving me in the direction that I want to move or my company in the direction that I want it to move or, or my mentorship roles or other projects that I'm undertaking. Did that answer your question? Totally. Um, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is to give people some methods um, and finding um, authenticity is sort of an important method. I'm, I'm wondering now if, if a person could be engaged, if they really, could you fake engagement? Um, I think only for a little while. Yeah. And it may be in, only until you figure out you're not really engaged. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you can fake engagement. I think... All right, we've all done it. Let's think about being, I don't mm -hmm. know, 22 or 25 or 18 or whatever. And you get that first job that you think can lead you to the place you want to go, right? Um, have either of you had that career moment where you're like, oh, damn, this is not what I want to do at all? Because <laughs> I have. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but I think there's this idea that we're supposed to work the hardest, be the best, um, be the most involved and engaged. And if you're not in a place that works for you, it is faking it. There's, there's no way to pretend to be engaged in an environment that's a poor fit. And to that end, I think that um, sort of what we're talking about a lot today is this idea that self-advocacy doesn't have to be knocking on a boss's door. Self-advocacy can be planning your life and making decisions that are in real alignment with your compass, it's where you put yourself and taking that moment to admit, you know what? I thought I was gonna be great on television and I hated all the people, I hated <laughs> um, the pressure of the world and the hustle and the fact that you were selling yourself as a physical package um, was all very, very uncomfortable to me. I could have been good at it, I would have been faking it. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't have been engagement. There would have been this sort of degradation of my own self along the way. And so, yes, you can fake engagement, but I don't think you can fake engagement and be content where you are. So, no, that's definitely faking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's time to go to lightning round. So 
I'm scared. Um, well, is there actual lightning? Be. No. Okay. <laughs> no, there's no lightning. I feel safer now. Thank you for creating this safe place. I'm going to ask you three questions, and uh-huh. you have to answer them right away with your first instinct. Okay. And if you take too long, I'm going to yell at you. I'm just that kidding. is scary. I accuse you of faking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you are asked to take on more responsibility with no title or compensation change. What do you do? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> the immediate answer is that there's a conversation about I can take on more title, more responsibility with compensation change, or I can maintain my job as it is without compensation change. But um, it took me a very, very long time to learn that no is an effective answer all by itself. And um, that sometimes asking very, very gently for things in the hopes that they work out for you um, will work against you rather than for you. it goes back to that job at 22 or 25 where you're like, I just need to prove myself. If I'm the hardest working, most willing. Just give it to me. Yeah, they'll just give it to me. No one's going to give you anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm, if I like the job I have now, I'm fine doing it for the same amount of money. If you want me to do more, I'm sorry. That's going to end that will, a conversation. There will be an invoice. There will be an invoice. <laughs> Are we allowed to score lightning round? Because I like what you just said is I was just having like, a, oh, it's so true. Like I was thinking back on so many times when I have sort of politely nudged and nothing changed. And nothing you have to will learn change. that, but it's so brutal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A plus on lightning round one. Yeah. <laughs> so far, so good. I felt engaged. So, <laughs> I'm glad we created that condition for you. Second question. Uh, you are asked to work extra hours to mentor a peer who isn't performing to expectations. For compensation or not? No. It doesn't, um, it doesn't say anything about compensation doesn't say anything about on that my sheet. Uh, that one's <laughs> a big, it depends. That I wrote. Um, I feel like an engaged version of me wouldn't have a problem doing that. Um, if what I am doing is important to my heart, then I don't mind helping somebody else find their way to doing that. That's a really Um, good answer. I think there's a point at which you have to understand this person's not performing to expectations because they're not engaged. It's time to disengage yourself from that life suck. (laughs) Um, But do I want to help somebody achieve a mission that's important to me, even if it costs me a little on the front end? Absolutely. Nice. All right, last question. You find out you're getting paid way less than a newer employee with less experience. That has happened to me. <laughs> I quit the job. Did you? Uh-huh, and I would do it again. Good. Uh, what, uh, in, what was the time span on knowledge to quit? Uh, knowledge to quit was probably about three months. Um, it did begin a conversation. Um, this person was a man with less education than me, less experience than me, who walked in and was just offered a higher salary. Um, and I appreciate very much that he just disclosed what his salary was because it was a really eye-opening experience to me. That was at a point in my career where I was trying to do the prove myself thing and I had allowed myself, um, I had begged my way into being hired into an organization during a hiring freeze. And in order to do that, I took almost no money for the job I was doing, and I couldn't back my way out of it. I needed to, I just couldn't get to a place where I was at fair market rate. And so when I found that out, I walked into the boss's office and was like, ah, 
there's an inconsistency here. How do I get myself up to where we are currently hiring at market rate? And they said, well, you have a contract. Um, and when it was time for contract renewal, I waited just to see, just would they you know, give me an offer that made sense in context of the current climate? And they did not. Did you ask again? I didn't. I didn't. But I had other options at that point in time. Um, there were places that I could go that I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, I think I might have if I was really invested in the job that I had. But again, that's what you risk when yeah. you don't keep people engaged or make them feel like they're a valuable contributing part of a team. Yeah. So right. I left. Good. Do you want to score a whole lightning round? About all home runs. Oh. Three for three. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. I learned from all those answers. Anne was like, oh, I've totally done that. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to self-reflect too much. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. <laughs> I think that's one of those things, though. Later. Like, you get to make the big mistakes. That's how you know what not to do. And yeah. it goes back to creating that environment where it's safe to fail a little bit or to make a mistake or to walk in and say, yo, boss, I'm struggling or whatever, but we don't get to grow if we're not uncomfortable. And there yeah. it is, the synopsis. There it is. I know we're done. Can I ask a bonus question? Sure. Okay. I'm curious. So you're a boss now. Mm -hmm. When you see younger folks on your team that maybe haven't had the benefit of this experience and you see them nervous, you know, tiptoeing around the issue, <laughs> Do you say, okay, like, do like the Zach Morris timeout, right? And step out a role and be like, hey, this is how you ask for that. This is what you need to do. Or I love being in a small independent business, most of all, because there's a lot of opportunity for mentorship and there's a lot of opportunity for relationship building. And don't get me started because I think there's this whole toxicity too to my business is my family. Like, no, they should have their own independent ideas. But I do want to be a person that somebody can come to and say, how do I? I do understand that nobody wants to be a server forever. So I've had people come to me and say, how do I interview for this job? Help me with my resume. Let's, I've done mock interviews with employees for other jobs. Um, I have a blast um, stepping out of role and into the role of advocate or ally. Mm -hmm. It's fun for me. Awesome. Nice. Well, thanks for coming in today, B. Thanks, B. Uh, nice to meet you, Eileen. I hope you... This was fun. Have a great Monday tomorrow. Tomorrow. Affirmed. Do you need me to call you in the morning? <laughs> I'm 100% texting you later. <laughs> I'm telling you, Saturday. It's Saturday. No. No. Oh, go to work. <laughs> no, it's going to be fine. Thanks. Good talking to you. Good talking to you, too. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Professional Humans Podcast. We'd love it if you'd follow us on Twitter at ProHumans. You can always reach us at our website, www.prohumans.com, and we'll post show notes and links for each episode there, and you can listen to our past episodes. If you like the podcast, subscribe to it and get future episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we'd love to get your ideas and feedback, so drop us a note at prohumanspodcast at gmail or talk to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.